0: So great to have you here on If You Don't Like That. Today, we're going to talk about some of the great NBA broadcasters. I'm going to give you my top five, and I've got a tie for fifth. So I'm going to give you six names of who I think are the greatest announcers in the history of the NBA. Today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento for your plumbing needs and repairs and remember their expert technicians are available 24/7 go to newworksplumbing.com and whether it's leak detection water line repair bathroom plumbing newworks plumbing is a full service plumbing solution folks they've got a fix for you just go to newworksplumbing.com, that's n e w w r x plumbing.com Right before the playoffs began, it was announced that this would be the last playoffs, the last year for the great, marvelous Marv Albert. Marv is retiring at the age of 80, and what a career Marv Albert has had. He has done a variety of sports, but he's best known as the great NBA announcer Many consider him the greatest basketball announcer to ever live. His first game was January 27th, 1963. The then voice of the New York Knicks, Marty Glickman, got stranded in Europe because of a snowstorm. And Marv and his brother, I believe it was his brother Al, got their equipment. They went up to Boston. They had trouble getting through security in the Boston Garden because they looked so young and they were young and they wouldn't let them in. And Marv had to plead with the guy, hey, here's my radio equipment. I'm announcing the game. And the rest is history. Marv did his first ever game after being a ball boy for the New York Knicks again on that January day of 1963. And Marv became the full-time voice on radio of the New York Knicks back in 1967, For 37 years until the idiot, absurd, ridiculous owner of the New York Knicks, James Dolan, fired Marv in 2004 because Marv was critical of the Knicks on a broadcast. Again, another idiotic move by an owner who absolutely has no clue to what the hell they're doing. Marv Albert is going to say goodbye at the age of 80 after the Eastern Conference Finals on TNT. To me... He's the greatest basketball announcer to ever live. He's done a variety of things for the NBA on NBC, the NBA Finals, you know, the All-Star Game, playoffs. I mean, I can go on and on. Of course, maybe the most famous moment in Marv Albert's career back in the 69-70 season when Willis Reed came out of the tunnel in Game 7 at the Garden, the Knicks and the Lakers, and then Willis hit the first two jumpers, and still to this day, New York Knicks fans look back at that and Marv Albert on the call and it gives them chills. Marv, as many of you know that have followed me throughout my career, is instrumental in me being a broadcaster. I used to listen to Marv do both the Knicks and the Rangers on radio. And after listening to Marv do the playoff series in 69 between the Knicks and the Bullets, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. I used to record the games. I used to record the hockey games that Marv did. And then I would bring them into school and let my friends listen to the great highlights. As a matter of fact, I wrote Marv, well, let me back up. I met Marv uh, at Madison Square Garden when I was in eighth or ninth grade through a, a really good friend of mine whose uh, family had very close relationship with the McGuire family, Al McGuire, uh, Dick McGuire, and they arranged for me to meet Marv Albert before a game one night. And I remember it so well because the Knicks were playing the Chicago Bulls, and Bullwinkle was on the team, and Jerry Sloan was on the team, and Walker and Love, and uh, you couldn't go to a Knicks game when I was growing up. Like getting a, tic- a ticket to go see the Knicks play, seriously, I'm not exaggerating. Was was really really difficult, and my family couldn't afford it, and we never got to go to a Knicks game. Very rarely was I at Madison Square Garden uh, watching the Knicks play, but that in that particular day. I can remember what I was wearing. I had a pair of white linen pants on. I had kind of a busy red shirt with a pattern on it. And I remember meeting Marv in the, uh, on the concourse right near where he broadcast from. And it was only about a five minute talk, but it was a a, a meeting that changed my life. After meeting at that time, I couldn't believe I was talking to Marv Albert, an iconic. Legendary figure uh, in New York. Marv also did the sports on uh, Channel 4 WNBC uh, in New York, among uh, many other things. But I met Marv, and then uh, years later, I would send Marv a letter and a cassette tape of my work. And I remember Marv writing me back a response uh, from WNBC TV Channel 4 letterhead. And he had written it on his teleprompter typewriter, because back then, I remember, because we used to have to do the same thing, when you used to write your scripts or whatever you would give to the director and producer, the font was bigger so that you could see it on the teleprompter. And that's the type of uh, font that I received on the letter that Marv sent me. And it was very nice. And it said, Grant, You know, I've listened to your work, or you said, thank you very much for sending me your tape. Uh, I've listened to your work, and quite frankly, I got to tell you, it's very good. Uh, Try to learn as many nuances as you can, blah, 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 blah. And I wish you the very best, Marv Albert. And I got to tell you, you know, first of all, to get a response from a guy that you idolized and is a legendary, iconic figure. In New York was a great thrill for me, but I think maybe the biggest thrill, because I was able to share it with my family, and particularly my father, was the first time I did a game at Madison Square Garden with the Knicks playing the Kings, and it was the 1988 season, and I remember having my dad with me, and I remember having my dad... Uh, I got a press pass form so it could go on the court with me before the game. And I remember interviewing Marv uh, before the game in a sit-down interview on camera right at midcourt at Madison Square Garden that we aired at halftime. And I I remember it like it happened yesterday. And then to be able to broadcast the game. And at Madison Square Garden, the table is directly across from the scores table It's the best location of any broadcast that we do in the entire NBA. Uh, All 30 teams, there's no better location than Madison Square Garden. And I remember, you know, doing the game, I had uh, Ted Green was my analyst. And to my left, I had my statistician. And to his left was John Andres, the commentator for the Knicks. And to his left was Marv Albert. And for me growing up and idolizing Marv, And knowing that I was sitting there because of Marv, because he got me involved in broadcasting, and then to be able to do that game that night was, I look back at that, maybe the greatest thrill I've ever had. Maybe the greatest moment I've ever had uh, as an NBA uh, broadcaster. So I'm going to put Marv at number one on my list. Is it a little... uh, Am I being completely objective? Maybe not. You know, maybe not. But, I mean, I think a lot of people consider Marv Albert as the greatest basketball announcer uh, to ever live. I mean, I have him number one. If you have him two or three or four. And here's something else I don't like. And this is true of all broadcasters that are still doing the games at age 80 or above, whether it's Brent Musburger with the Raiders whether it's Marv, whether it's Gary Gerald, whether it's Al McCoy. You know, no one is going to be as good at 80 as they were at 60, all right? And we as fans sometimes get too critical when an announcer who's doing the game in their 80s makes a mistake. Lighten up, would you? 80 years old, think about that. I mean, Marv Albert still doing the NBA at age 80. God bless him. And what a career. And what an idiot James Dolan was for firing Marv as the great legendary voice in 2004. Honestly, Marv should have a statue. And I mean this, Marv Albert should have a statue in front of Madison Square Garden, the same way that Chick Hearn has the statue in front of the Staples Center. And I've got Chick as my second greatest NBA announcer of all time. Think about what Chick accomplished in 3,338 games. And as a kid growing up, I didn't really know Chick Hearn because this was pre-telephone, pre-telephone, pre-cell phone, pre-internet, pre-everything. I mean, you know, you grew up in as a kid and you just thought there was only one announcer for the most part, I'm exaggerating, and it was Marv Albert. And, you know, I had no idea that Chick Hearn was doing the Lakers. You know, you didn't get a chance to listen to Chick Hearn back in in those days. But, you know, as I got older, then you realized if you were an East Coast kid, who Chick Hearn was. Obviously, if you were from Southern California, Chick, just like Marv, was a legendary figure. He was iconic. He was uh, just a household name. And to do 3,338 consecutive games is absolutely unbelievable. And when you think of greatness, you got to think about Chick Hearn. And I think of Chick Hearn in a different way than just his legendary announcing. I think of Chick Kern as a first-class human being, somebody that welcomed me with open arms when I went into the Great Western Forum as a young kid, and when I mean a young kid, I'm speaking in relative terms to other NBA broadcasters. You know, I think, what, I was 27 years old, and I'm doing the Kings and the Lakers And it's my first time ever at the Great Western Forum. And Magic Johnson is playing with Kareem and James Worthy and Coop. And I'm up in the broadcast position, which back then the Lakers had their broadcasters up in the second deck. And I got there so early and I was so excited to be doing a game at the Forum with the Great Lakers. And on the same row as me to my right, was Chick Hearn, because Chick always got to the game hours in advance. And I remember Chick walking over to me and saying, hello, I'm Chick Hearn. And I said, it is an absolute honor and a privilege to meet you. My name is Grant Napier. I'm the new TV announcer for the Sacramento Kings. And Chick said, Grant, whatever you need, you just let us know. We are so happy to have you here in Los Angeles, and don't hesitate to ask if you need anything at all. That was my introduction to the great Chick Hearn. And I used to watch Chick over the years, and I used to watch how he interacted with the fans after games because he would always have so many people, particularly in Sacramento. And I mean, particularly in Sacramento, I, I noticed it more in Sacramento. And I remember all the fans that would wait for Chick behind the broadcast position. And when Chick took the headset off, he had time for all the fans and whether it was taking pictures or signing autographs. And I just thought that was fascinating. And I always said I would do the same thing. And I always did do the same thing and would always do the same thing, whether I was at home or on the road. And Chick very often would be a guest on my radio show whenever the Lakers would come to Sacramento. And I remember the last time I ever interviewed Chick Kern, I was at my broadcast position just to the right of the Sacramento bench. And we were probably an hour and a half before the game. Chick wore a lot of makeup. And I remember Chick coming over and putting the headset on. And I remember he moved the headset a little bit. And I remember seeing the makeup on the ear cushion of the headset. And I don't know why that stuck out to me, but it did. And I'm interviewing Chick. And Chick Hearn, at the end of the interview, after I thank him, said this. He said, Grant, I hope the people of Sacramento realize how lucky they are to have you as their announcer. You are just great at what you do. And I don't know if Chick said that to every person that he did an interview with? Knowing Chick, I would probably say, yeah, he probably did. Because Chick was about building you up and making you feel good and making you feel wanted. And I wish that I had that on tape. Because I'll never forget that as long as I live. That Chick being as classy and just as uh, humble To be able to say that on the radio, whether he meant it or not, was something that I will never, ever forget. I've got Chick Kern as my second greatest announcer of all time. My third guy on the list is a guy that I never listened to because he stopped doing the NBA in 1983. And it was the great Bill King the voice of the Raiders, the voice of the A's, and did the Warriors from 62 to 83. And the thing I love the most about Bill, and I got to know Bill when he did the A's, and on multiple occasions I had a chance to interview Bill King, was that you could make an argument that football was his best sport, that basketball was his best sport, or you could say that baseball was his best sport and for a guy to be great at all three sports was something that really stuck out to me. I always admired that. I always respected that. And I didn't hear Bill do a Warriors game live, but I've listened to Bill on many highlights call Warriors games including the 1975 championship team with Rick Barry and my great great late friend of Derek Dickey and Bill King to me May, and again, I say this because Bill was mostly known for his great Raider calls, right? The Holy Roller. I mean, I can go on and on. I mean, a lot of people, when they think of Bill King, they think of the Raiders. But if you were a Warriors fan back in that era, you would think of Bill King as the great basketball announcer. So I've got Bill King as third on my list. Because when I listened to his work as a NBA radio announcer, it was not only good, it was great. Fourth on my list, Joe Tate. Joe Tate started doing the Cleveland Cavaliers in 1970 and worked in the NBA all the way until 2011. And I was blessed to go to college I shouldn't say I was blessed to go to college at Bowling Green, but I went to college at Bowling Green. No, in all honesty, I actually was blessed to go to college at Bowling Green. It was uh, it was phenomenal. But I used to listen to Joe Tate do the Cavaliers on three We in Cleveland, and I used to love listening to Joe Tate. Joe was a great, great basketball announcer, and for the fans of Cleveland, Ohio, and the surrounding areas. They were they were blessed. They were blessed to have one of the greats of all times calling the games, Joe Tate. And another idiotic, stupid owner by the name of Ted Stepien got rid of Joe Tate. And so Joe went and worked the Nets and then did the Bulls before Gordon and George Gund thankfully bought the team from Stepien and rehired Joe Tate and put him back where he belonged As the voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Joe Tate. You think about this, all right? You think about Marv Albert. There are certain announcers that need to be able to work for their team for as long as they want, without interference from these dumb owners such as James Dolan and Ted Stepien. We're talking about iconic, legendary, synonymous figures with the franchise. I mean. I know me personally, when you say what do you think of when you think of the New York Knicks, I think of Marv Albert. If you ask a Cavaliers fan, what do you think of first when you think of the Cleveland Cavaliers, many would say Joe Tate. I mean, after all, he did the games forever. And then when you have an owner who has no concept of, and I really mean this, so many owners have absolutely No concept. And I'm not exaggerating here. I I really mean this. They have no concept of interaction between fans and broadcasters. And they think that they can just make a change and it doesn't impact the fans and it doesn't impact the real love that fans have for a franchise. Like, it's a dagger in their heart. James Dolan did it in 2004 with Marv Albert. And Ted Stepien did it to the Cavaliers fans with Joe Tate. And thankfully, Joe was able to go work for the Nets for a while and then the Bulls. But you know what? Joe should have never had to go work for the Nets and the Bulls. Marv should have never, ever have ha- ha- should have had to go across the river To be the announcer for the Nets. I mean, to think about Marv Albert, okay, going from the Knicks to the Nets, because James Dolan and his ego was so damn large that he couldn't just bite his tongue and keep Marv where he belonged. So in New York, the Knicks fans became the losers, and in Cleveland, The Cavaliers fans became the losers because of selfish, arrogant owners who think they know everything. But in reality, when it comes to professional sports, they really know very little. And I've had so much experience with owners where it's absolutely mind boggling. And I really mean this mind boggling how they think because they're successful in one line of work, they're automatically going to be successful and can do things the same way when it comes to professional sports. It's ignorance. It's absolutely uh, sad. It is ridiculous. And it is shameful. And shame on James Dolan. And shame on Ted Stepien. Next on my list, you ready for this? Two guys. Johnny Most. 1953 to 1990. That voice of the Boston Celtics, is Johnny Most. Johnny Most. What was so awesome for me is to be able to share a meal with Johnny Most in the Sacramento press room at Arco Arena before a game. Now, I say this in all due respect. I'm not saying this to try to be funny, cynical. I'm saying this because I'm trying to make a point. It was right at the end of Johnny Most's career. Johnny had a lot of health issues. And Johnny came with his tray of food and sat down directly across from me. And you would have thought that Johnny Most had just gone into the ring with Joe Frazier. He had two black eyes. He looked awful. And you could tell that he was getting close to the end of the road but he was nice, he was very talkative, he was engaging, and he was a true legend in New England. And I'll never forget the story that Danny Ainge told me. Danny said when the Lakers and the Celtics were in the NBA Finals one year, they used to fly commercial back then, and you could smoke on the planes back then. And Danny told me the story of flying from Boston to L.A., And Johnny was in the back of the plane and Johnny would sleep a lot on the plane, but he would wear a shirt and in the pocket on his dress shirt, he would have his pack of smokes. So Johnny falls asleep. Danny Ainge should walk back there and he slowly takes the pack of cigarettes out of Johnny's pocket and he replaces a couple of cigarettes with cigarettes that explode when you light them. Now picture that. On an aircraft today, and, and the panic that would set in. But so, Ainge replaces a couple of the cigarettes with, again, cigarettes that explode. And eventually, Johnny Most wakes up. And the first thing he does is grab a cigarette and he goes to light the cigarette on the plane and it explodes in his face. And after a couple of seconds, Ainge tells me the story of Johnny Most going, Ainge! Ainge! Because he knew exactly who had done it. And to hear Danny tell the story, he would put you in tears. I can't tell the story as well as Danny, but that was, uh, that was one of the all-time great stories. Johnny Most, what a legendary, iconic, incredible figure. Could you imagine? Now think about this for a minute. Could you imagine Red Auerbach Or the owner of the Boston Celtics firing Johnny Most over ego, over something stupid? Seriously. By the way, when Ted Stepien fired Joe Tate the last game of the year, they had a full house on Joe Tate night, and the fans started chanting, let's go, Joe. Ted must go. And that was part of the reason why Joe Tate was able to get back because Stepian then sold the team and the guns took over. And then tied with me as greatest NBA radio announcers of all time is a guy that's still doing it. 88 years young. Al McCoy. Shazam. 1972 to present. The unbelievable... Incredible, iconic Al McCoy. I think about Al. I think about his incredible people skills, how nice he is, and it doesn't matter whether he sees me in Sacramento or Phoenix. Al always comes up with a smile on his face, shakes my hand, and wants to talk and ask how I'm doing, and Al is just, well, Al's unbelievable. Not only is Al a great, great announcer, Al's a great human being. And to think that he is still doing this at age 88 is absolutely unfreaking believable. So those are my greatest NBA announcers of all time. When you think about radio and play-by-play, I think of Marv Albert. I think of Chick Hearn. I think of Bill King. I think of Joe Tate. I think of Johnny Most. And I think of Al McCoy. And I got to tell you, it's really, really hard to just pick out these six because there were many more that I would love to talk about. But those are the six that just come to my mind. And I hope you enjoyed... Hearing the stories about them as much as I've enjoyed not only getting to know them and whether they are with us or not, to be able to be in their presence was an honor and an absolute privilege. And I only can hope that their voices live forever within their franchises. And again, Chick Kern with his statue in front of the Staples Center. Marv Albert needs to have a statue in front of Madison Square Garden. Before we get to our for Q&A, I want to tell you about Adload Technologies, a brand new innovative way to advertise your company. They utilize LED digital displays. They're embedded in the back of semi-trailers. Your message will always flow with traffic and capture attention of consumers in high traffic areas. Now, Remember this, because AdLoad, could, uh, or Adload rather, provides comprehensive and intelligent reporting, so it gives you accurate impression counts and exposure to analyze your marketing strategy for the long term. Now, just go to AdLoadTechnologies.com, that is A-D-L-O-A-D, AdLoadTechnologies.com. I'm telling you, it looks awesome, uh, really amazing with the LED display, and trust me, it looks incredible. Check it out. dot loadtechnologies.com. All right, it is now time for our Crowd Ultra QA. Just go to crowdultra.com, sign up, and I may answer your question right here on the podcast. Mitch wants to know why is there a trade deadline, but no deadline for signing free agents in the NBA? Mitch, I've asked that question for years. I hate it. Uh, I really do. I would like to see playoff rosters have to be finalized on the night of the trade deadline. I'm, I'm with you, Mitch. I don't like it. Uh, Martin wants to know, does it disappoint you that the NBA won't suspend LeBron for violating, violating protocol? Well, you don't think they're playing favorites with LeBron James, do you? No, nah, the league? Giving LeBron James preferential treatment? No, nah, they wouldn't do that. What do you think would have happened if a lesser-known player had violated protocol? What do you think? What do you think would have happened? What do you think? Yeah, I think so, too. Did I answer your question? Jay wants to know, what does Tim Tebow having a top-five-selling jersey show? Shows you there are a lot of people that don't mind wasting their money. That's what it shows. Josh wants to know, are the Packers or Rodgers more responsible for their problem? I don't know what's going on inside the walls of the Green Bay Packers. But from the outside, to me, it's Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers is paid to play quarterback. He's not paid to run the front office. He's not paid to own the team. He's paid to play quarterback. And it seems to me that Aaron's gotten a very big head lately and has become really somewhat of a diva. So I got to say it's Aaron Rodgers. But again, I don't know really what's going on behind the scenes. Rob wants to know, how did you avoid bias when broadcasting? Well, Rob, it's a great question. First of all, if you're broadcasting for a team on a local level, you're always going to have bias. I had bias. I wanted the Kings to win. I was more emphatic for the most part on great Kings plays as opposed to the other team, and I would say that's true of every local broadcaster that I've ever heard. So I think the word bias is interesting. I've always tried to remain objective when I announce games. In other words, if there's a bad call against the other team, that helps out the Kings. I've always pointed it out and vice versa. But bias, I've always been biased when I was announcing games for the Kings because I always was rooting for them and I knew that the vast majority of my audience was Kings fans. But I was also objective. I hope that makes sense. But it's a very, very good question. Joe wants to know, should the NBA have a mid-season tournament? No, I don't think that they should. And based on what I've been seeing on social media the last couple of games... I don't think a lot of the fans want it either. Willie wants to know was it a mistake not playing Donovan Mitchell in game one? Well, Mitchell was furious. He practiced a couple of days leading up. He was in shoot-around that morning. And then he doesn't play. And Mitchell was not happy. Very, very unhappy. Now there's been a rift, you know, between him and Gobert in the front office. And, you know, they're in the playoffs as the number one seed. And they lose to Memphis in game one. Mitchell is going to play in game two. There's been speculation that maybe. Dwayne Wade had something to do with this. I mean, if Mitchell wants to play, let him play. I mean, he knows his body better than everyone else. I'm a little surprised. I got to be honest. I mean, if Utah loses this series, all right, if they lose this series, you're going to look back at game one and go, gee, what would have happened if Mitchell had played? Nick wants to know what's your take on Dominic Wilkins pulling the race card for a dress code issue. Nick, I wasn't there, okay? Okay. So, you know, I've known Dominic Wilkins for a long time. I'm not his best friend. I don't have his phone number. But I'm going to give Neek the benefit of the doubt here. All right? Again, I wasn't there. But why would Neek say that? I mean, is that something that Dominique would do? I mean, I really don't think so. Tristan wants to know, do you think Summer League in Vegas would make a good vacation? You know, it depends what you're looking for. You know, a lot of the Summer League games are very boring, to be quite honest with you. But Vegas is Vegas. You know, you do get to see a little basketball. You get to see some of the rookies. So it just depends on what you're looking at. Nick wants to know, how much credit does Russell Westbrook deserve for the Wizards being in the playoffs? Well, a lot. You know, he deserves a lot of the credit. Lucas wants to know, are there any teams that could beat the Golden Knights? Yeah, I mean, it's, you get a hot goaltender. I mean, I think Vegas is the best team in hockey. They're up, as I record this podcast, three games to one with a chance to close it out before you listen to the podcast. They're good. They're solid in every single position. Getting Petrangelo from St. Louis, I think, was a huge, huge pickup for them in the offseason. So they're the team to beat. Mr. Wolf asked, have you researched NBA player viewership yet? No, I won't do it until after the end of the uh, first round. I think it's just too soon. All right, Ryan wants to know, is Nate McMillan's 25000 fine reasonable? Based on precedent, I would think it is. Ben wants to know, have I ever been to a PBR event? You know what? I have not, but I would. I, I find it fascinating. I find it fascinating. But no, I've never been to a professional bull riding Event. But again, I would if I had the opportunity. It's time for rant, 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 rant. Hey, today's rant's brought to you by the Home Theater Company. Audio, video, and home theater. Just go online, home theater All right, I want to talk to you about the Las Vegas Aces and the Connecticut Sun. All right, the Aces star, Liz. Cambage accused the head coach of Connecticut, Kurt Miller, of bringing up her weight to get a favorable call from a referee. Cambridge went to Instagram on Sunday night because the coach remarked to the official something along the lines of, come on, she's 300 pounds. In her Instagram post, Cam Bage corrected him saying she is 6'8 and 235 pounds because she just weighed herself so she can be right and have all the facts and that she is very proud of being a big, the word starts with the letter B and ends with the letter H. Now, here's the problem I have with this whole thing. She's upset that the coach of the sun exaggerated by saying she's 300 pounds. All right, and then she says this on Instagram, quote, I will never let a man disrespect me ever, 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 especially a little white one. Don't ever try to disrespect me or another woman on the league. In all due respect, in all due respect here, Liz, why are you referring to him As a little white man. Why? I will never let a man disrespect me. Ever, ever, ever. Especially a little white one. Why are you bringing up his skin color? What does it have to do with anything? Are you telling me that if he had been black? Or Asian? Or Hispanic? It wouldn't have bothered you any much? Why do you have to say especially... A little white one. You know what? It appears to me, Liz, that you're overly sensitive because the coach was trying to get a call and exaggerated your weight, all right? Again, you're 235 pounds. I don't know who you are. You could come sit on my lap, and I wouldn't know who you are. You're obviously very talented. You play professional basketball, and you might be in tip-top phenomenal shape. I don't know. I've never seen you before. Relax. Take a freaking chill pill, would you please? But for you to respond and call him a little white man is as bad if you really want to go and call, you know, spade for spade here. Actually, in my opinion, what you said is worse than what he said. But I'm just one man's opinion. My advice to you, Liz, is chill out. Relax a little bit. Stop being so damn sensitive about everything. And when you get upset, be very careful about your choice of words because there are many people that will consider what you said very offensive as well. And that's my rant for today. And that's my podcast for today. Just to invite you to take a moment, if you're listening particularly via Apple Podcasts, please rate the podcast if you don't mind. And if you have time, leave a comment. I would greatly appreciate it. And don't forget to check out my rants as well over on YouTube. As always, thank you so much for listening to if you don't like that with Grant Napier. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office